the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Tuesday, January 2nd. We're a little bit off kilter in terms of our podcast scheduling, as you might imagine. Um, hope you had a great holiday. Hope you saw plenty of football. I certainly did. And uh, amidst all that, I've been writing about football. So I'm a little footballed out. So today's agenda is going to be a little bit of that at the top, just to clean up some house. And then Dan Soman's going to join me and we're going to talk baseball. Um, best available, potential trades, potential extensions. There's plenty of business still yet to be done in Major League Baseball, just six weeks away from the start of spring training and pitchers and catchers reporting. So it's not like we're in the middle of nowhere with Major League Baseball. It's right around the corner and certainly we've had some major contracts and plenty more to come. Football. Uh, we head to week 18 with plenty of questions and some things kind of set in cement. One of those being the Bears owning the number one pick. As of today, and we just made the update on spotrat.com, Bears, Commanders, Patriots, Cardinals, Giants. That feels <laughs> important, right? Obviously, what the Bears do is going to just be a roller coaster for the rest of the first round. Um, and I, I don't even know where I'd want this to be. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But Commanders, quarterback. Patriots, quarterback. Arizona, not quarterback. Giants, probably quarterback. It makes sense, I think, to <clears throat> handcuff the Daniel Jones situation <clears throat> if you were this high in the draft right now. So <clears throat> I would expect four out of those five teams, excuse me, three out of those five teams, and it could be the Bears, to be all in on a top three quarterback. It feels like there's going to be movement. Certainly the Bears can trade back. Arizona at four actually feels right for Marvin Harrison or a left tackle, but they could move back and allow a team like Atlanta, the Raiders, Minnesota to sneak way up. All possible. All very possible. And oh, by the way, the that other Bears pick, currently 10th. So two top 10 picks for Chicago as of today. And plenty of question marks with that number one pick. No reason to speculate. We got you know, five, six months until that actually comes to fruition. But as the offseason approaches, we're going to have an answer. We're going to know what's happening here because the quarterback carousel is real. Speaking of which, part of the house cleaning I mentioned in the open, I did drop a few Christmas articles and New Year's articles. One of them was quarterback resolutions. Um, obviously, that's we're a bit away from that actually happening. I've basically put my name on every single franchise and said, here's what's happening. Here's what the contracts look like. Based on that math, here's my bold prediction for what's going to happen in February and March and sometime over the summer at the quarterback position for each of the 32 franchises, including, and it's there, and I'm not going to change it, I have Justin Fields being traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Doesn't look like that's something Chicago might do. However, if you want to restart the rookie clock with Michael Penix Jr. or Caleb Williams, could you bag yourself another first-round pick by sending Justin Fields to a team that certainly needs to upgrade their 
quarterback position immediately. So I've got everything from Josh Allen processing a cap conversion to free up 22 million to the Bears trading fields to the Browns re-signing Joe Flacco. So not really out there predictions, you know, extensions for Goff, an extension for Baker Mayfield, which looks pretty darn bad right now after his stinker of a game. But every team has something, you know, and there's really, I think there were one or two teams, for instance, the Chiefs might just convert Patrick Mahomes roster bonus. Boring, right? <laughs> they got other work to do. Don't worry. But every team has something going on with their quarterback position. It might be the quarterback too that I mentioned because as we know, the year of the backup quarterback, what could be more important than fortifying the second man in line at the most important position in sports? So predicting quarterback resolutions for 2024 is now live on SpotTrack.com, as is the first edition of the Roster Bubble Players. I believe I launched that on Christmas Eve. I've made some changes already. Uh, not any subtractions, but yes, a few additions. And I'm going to continue to do that. Um, week 18 is always a, uh, a bit of a, not so much a, an audition, but we find some things out, especially when teams have to bench players, to bench starters. Teams that have cap trouble are looking for value right now, week 17, week 18. And this is a really nice time. It's a bit of a mini, it's like, it's like a postseason preseason for some players. <laughs> who can come in and if they've got an $800,000 cap hit versus you know a $3.5 million cap hit for a veteran on the roster, those are the moves that get made right now. So I'm monitoring a lot of those situations and I'm probably going to end up adding 12 to 20 players to this list. There's probably, I'm not going to have a count right now, but there's probably 50 to 60 there right now, broken down by position group. I'll usually get into the 70s and the 80s by the time March 13th actually gets here. So it's there. It's fluid. I've got details and cap ramifications for every single player I mentioned here. Um, there's like a 60 to 70% hit rate on this, just so you know. I've done this about 10 years in a row. The money is almost always talking the loudest come March. Yes, there are football decisions that take some of these players off this list. You know, really important best friends with the quarterback, all sorts of intangible stuff that certainly I can't read from looking at a contract. But most of the time, the contract does all the talking for us. And we can read between the lines and figure out what kind of move teams might make with certain players. The wide receiver position, by the way, loaded with potential bubble players that could easily help a contender like a Kansas City next year. So if you're not liking what you're seeing on the field right now, expect heavy movement. <laughs> in every area from trade to free agency and certainly to a draft that's loaded with wide receiver talent yet again. So those two articles now live on spotdraft.com and two more. Keith had a very successful, Keith Smith had a very successful run with fixing the Chicago Bulls that included specific trades for players like Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And amidst their 28 loss streak, he posted fixing the Pistons. And I thought it was an extremely well put, poised, sophisticated approach. It's not just rip this thing up, fire money bombs, and gut this thing and move out of the city. Uh, Keith took some real time and some real care with this one. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. I think a lot of you have already read it based on some of the numbers I've seen. 
if you haven't, it's worth your time because it is a it's a sophisticated look at what happens when we're three months into a season and you are clearly the worst team in basketball and there's number one overall talent on your team. There are plenty of first round picks on this team and you don't want to ruin careers. And uh, that's not for nothing. We've seen that happen quite a bit in football where guys are thrown into the fire and honestly never recover, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a mental thing. So really nice piece from Keith and one more because the trade season has officially begun. The Knicks have acquired OG Ananobi from the Toronto Raptors for a couple of really nice players in RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Obviously, Keith did an immediate breakdown for us. All of those cap and tax numbers are updated on spotdraft.com and it's coming. It's here. We're about a month away. Eh, a little bit more than a month away. I know Keith has been working feverishly on other names that are going to hit this trade list and then certainly the buyout list thereafter. So it's a big time for basketball as we ramp up toward that deadline and plenty of contenders or even non-contenders looking to make some changes down the stretch. Okay, let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, I appreciate you doing some homework for me this morning. I've been, as I mentioned, Sure, I've been in the NFL world for way too long here. I needed a break. So it's going to be an all baseball show. Let's start with the best available players. Um, not for nothing, right? This this had to be a pretty, pretty easy list for you, you to compile because there's some names here for sure. Uh, which name stands out right now to you the most as probably the one that all baseball fans should be paying attention to as we turn into 2024? I think... Blake Snell is probably the guy we're kind of watching right now. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly in terms of just, he's probably the biggest arm. Well, he's certainly the biggest arm remaining on the market. Um, and I think he is kind of the one that's holding up um, some potential trades, which we might get to later with some of these guys. So um, teams that miss out on him or, um, you know, the few other guys at the top of this list might look to um, make some waves via the trade market instead. So So. He's an interesting dude, right? Because I feel like his uh, media value was tarnished when Tampa Bay threw him to the curb. And all that was, was Tampa Bay not paying paying a high salary, right? It had nothing to do with Blake Snell, the player. Now, I think Blake Snell didn't appreciate how Tampa Bay was handling things with the openers and all that. So there was some discontent there. And maybe that, you know, rubs some people the wrong way. But this guy went to San Diego, had a weird first year as he kind of got settled there and has been magnificent ever since, you know, culminating with the Cy Young this past season. I've also read an article this week, I mean, days ago, that compared him to Carlos Rutan and that there are teams out there that there are front office people. This was not, you know, a blogger. This was one of the MLB.com people saying there are front office people saying, that he is one injury injury away from basically being a nothing for the rest of his career. And I'm not throwing five for, you know, five at 25 per year at a player like this when the risk is so big. Where are you with all that? Because I just absolutely love the guy. And if I got to give him five years to get three out of it, I'm doing it tomorrow. Yeah, I know there's definitely some injury concerns, but I mean, it's 2024. Um, first time I've said that. It's 2024, though. And Um, I mean, what pitcher doesn't have injury concerns, right? So Mm -hmm. honestly, inning for inning, he's probably one, one of, if not the premier strikeout per nine, um, pitcher, the the knock with him is it's almost certainly going to be six or under, right? Um, six innings or less. So 
He just doesn't go deep into games. He's not efficient. I shouldn't even say he's not necessarily efficient. Just when you rack up double-digit strikeouts or close to it every game, you're going to have an inflated pitch count. So he's just not a guy who's going to work deep into deep into the game, um, which I think means he needs to just find the right landing spot um, in terms of somebody who has a, a deep bullpen, maybe that – I shouldn't say like the Orioles, but somebody like the Dodgers obviously would have fit. I think they already spent their money, but regardless, he needs to find a nice um, landing spot where he's, if he does fetch this monster contract, we think that, you know, he, he's still going to get paid. Right. So if yeah. he does get paid, he's going to come with some expectations um, in a new, in a new destination. Um, fans aren't always willing to accept um, a guy making that kind of money. Um, only going five five plus innings, if you will. Does him so, being left-handed make him more valuable or less valuable, or, or is it a non-factor right now? I, th- It's definitely more valuable. Um, I don't necessarily... I mean, him and Jordan Montgomery are mm-hmm. both left-handed guys. I don't know if, that's, if they're just both waiting to... I mean, not that Montgomery is likely to make more than Snell, but um, he probably... It's probably going to be close, don't you think? I mean, Montgomery was in that Cy Young conversation there down the stretch, and he, you know, he fizzled out a little bit. But I've got Snell at about twenty-four right now, Dan. Yeah, it, it, I could see them coming in close. Um, I think the total number might be a, like some, some might view Jordan Montgomery as a little safer, so he might get some additional term or um, mm-hmm. something along those lines. So, regardless, I don't really know if the left-handed. Um, you know, no factors in here that much, but I mean, it's definitely more valuable to him. I, I, I do think um, that's likely a comp that they go into negotiations with, you know, he's not just being lumped in um, with X, Y, and Z pitcher. I think it's They're specifically carving out lefties um, to some degree. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Blue Jays are in this conversation for me for sure. Um, and devastatingly, I think the Braves are probably still in this conversation too. And they, they kind of fit the stacked relief pitching bill that you just mentioned that could really protect his five to five and a half uh, inning stretches that he goes through, especially during the middle of the year. So that would be a monster get for Atlanta who just can't stop making moves this offseason. And I don't think are done, unfortunately. How about a, a position player? How about, give me a hitter that you're looking at that probably may, t- you know, may top 200 million overall. Big time term, multiple teams looking at him still right now. Well, Bellinger, Cody Bellinger is kind of the obvious one. Um, It's just a matter of really where he settles in. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would put Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez sort of in their own tier. Um, Hernandez is really going to be the premier power bat available. Um, I don't think he's super dynamic. I don't like love committing large chunks of money to players with his profile. Um, but there's really no, um, way to get around it. There's, you know, all of the similar power options on the market to me have very similar profiles. So, um, Mm-hmm. I just think he's the one who probably makes comes in with the most here. So um, Matt Chapman though, is probably maybe the guy that surprises us, surprises us a little bit. And that's mostly due to the third base market. We've talked about this in the past, but it's pretty bare bones, not only this year, but in the coming years as well, there's really not a lot um, in the pipeline. So if you don't have a guy, uh, if an organization doesn't have 
um, you know, a, a player they think can can step in there and, you know, in the next couple of years. He is certainly a player who, um, you know, he came out roaring hot, cooled off, probably had an overall disappointing season last year, um, but still offers premium defense, um, good base running, et cetera. So I, I, I think there is um, plenty of room for him to get a little bit of a surprising contract, if you will, still. <clears throat> what are we hearing on Clayton Kershaw? It's been a little bit silent. It's, I guess it's expected. He's still recovering from some injury stuff. Um, do we think he gets signed before camp, Dan? Or do you think this could bleed into the season a little bit? And then maybe he's like a June, July guy because the first three months of the year are going to be a wash for him anyway. Yeah, that's probably right. I think... I, we've talked about this offline a little bit. I think he, the Dodgers might have a little bit of money earmarked for him still um, mm-hmm. at some point as like a wait and see to see where some of their other options like Walker Bueller, et cetera, are, um, you know, come, come March. So it, maybe it doesn't drag that long, but um, I, I definitely think it's kind of a wait and see thing. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's too, um, you know, you know, too pie in the sky, if you will, but it just doesn't seem like he's eager to to play anywhere else, if you will, um, especially mm-hmm. at like a minim, minimized contract. You know, I don't think he's going to take some bargain contract to go pitch in for another organization. Like maybe if the money's there, but then uh, even then I would be pretty surprised if it is. Um, I would too. I mean, Texas could use a pitcher because of the injuries they have right now, but I'd be surprised if... Even if that's plan B, I'd be surprised if the landing spot is there. I think it's Dodgers or bust. And I think you have to pay him well because when he was healthy, he was still, I mean, a multiple war player standing on that mound, eating up some innings for you. So even if it's a half season and you're getting 13 starts out of the guy, I do think there's value in that, especially for a super team that appears, you know, no end in sight with the Dodgers this year. Anybody else that we should be thinking about? I've heard JD Martinez rumors quite a bit of late. Um, certainly the hater stuff is going to pick up here soon and we'd expect there to be some sort of blockbuster contract for him. Uh, I guess he's probably just sorting out which teams are finalists at this point, right? Is it incorrect to think there's a half dozen teams in on Josh Hader here? Well, if he's, if the report that he's looking for to top or come close to the Edwin Diaz deal, I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams in on that, but maybe they're just, um, you know, leveraging a couple spots that are in on that against each other but um, let me ask you let me ask you about that a little bit Uh, i think we've hit this a couple times but it's always worth bringing back up especially this time of year where are we with closers dan you know contract financially speaking where where do you sit with this you do a lot of dfs stuff you do a lot of fantasy world stuff and you just do a lot of lineup work for us so you, you you understand just how fluid this position has become and that's really not new but it feels like it's increased more and more with the ability to bring guys up and down and, and really with how successful a international players have been in immediately impactfully and younger guys kind of taking over the reins here. Are we just, is it going to be a dying art to see $20 million closers or even $15 million closers someday, someday soon? Or do you think that there will still be players that fit that role so specifically that it's the only thing they can do and they are, five percent better than everybody else in the league so they just they should be paid that way you know what i mean like it is is the league kind of coming into one big pool kind of kind of like the running back conversation but not really or do you think that there are still players that are just bona fide closers and should make 20 million a year 
Yeah, it's it's might be a bit narrative based, but I do think um, there is a factor to just being built differently to coming in when the game is on the line, knowing you just need three outs. There's no room beyond you. Um, it, it's like there there's tons of players with the talent to close. Um, but we see them, you know, be a flash in the pan from year right. to year where one time they look one year, they look dominant the next year. They're literally replaced by, by June. So maybe, um, the, maybe I, it's the kicker conversation. Is is that a better comparison, Dan? That's probably fair. Right. I mean, and that's why we see guys like, uh, like Fernando Rodney get recycled around the the league when really like he's not the sexiest name, but he is a guy that can give you reliable in his, in his time, he was a guy that could give you reliable innings back there. Um, you know, even Chapman to some degree, I mean, Chapman had a big bounce back here, right? Yeah, exactly. That that's probably a good, um, a good example as in like, you know, 16 months ago, we were all asking, is this guy toast? Um, and you know, we see that the talent was still there and he, you know, he was still, um, <clears throat> able to, to show it. So, um, yeah, I do always think there are going to be a, a small group of guys that are, um, deserving and going to get paid, uh, you know, premium closer money. But, um, I do, you know, with not to get into like a greater conversation here, but just with the way players are, are coming up and, mm-hmm. you know, high velo, uh, you know, Lester ability type stuff, you're going to see a ton of guys with the ability to close and certain organizations are going to, going to try and game that. And you, you know, I don't even mean contractually necessarily, but they're right. just going to take, um, you know, a closer, you know, a, a bullpen by committee approach, if you will. So yeah, um, I, I was going to mention that, that, that probably is what's changed the most. It's not so much that the position has devalued, or that there aren't just, you know, there, we don't have the guys today that we did 15 years ago that kind of stood out at that role. There are, every team has what? Is it incorrect to think three to five players that can throw 100? Right? I mean, every team has at least... At least, at least in their organization at some point. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's fair at this point where like years ago, I mean, we, we could count the number of, you know, 100 mile an hour pitches on, on two hands, you know, so... <clears throat> and if you did it, you were a closer until Strasburg came around and, you know, and those kind of players carry wood to some degree. And then teams started to, to bleed those guys into the rotation. And then everybody started to go in that down that role. Cause obviously that's where the money is, but it's a fascinating conversation. Let's quickly flip to the other side of it. But I mentioned, really, go ahead. But I just want, I just want to round it off here too. It's not only like it, it, the time, it, sorry, teams, timelines play a major factor in this as well. If you're it, like, if a team thinks that, all the other pieces are in place. They have a really good lineup, good defense, good starting rotation, good bullpen pieces, but really not a guy on the back end to close it all out. Um, you know, there's always going to be teams that are are in their window, if you will, that will spend a little bit extra on a guy just to nail down that back end spot. So I just wanted to point that out as well. So good. Uh, I mentioned it with Snell. Where is Major League Baseball with openers right now? feels like we saw less of it. I don't have the analytics in front of me. feels like we saw a lot less of it in 2023. Is it a dying fad? Was it, was it a flash in the pan that Tampa Bay and some other teams tried to get going and just realized it wasn't worth the effort? 
the rule changes probably are also changed some of that as well in terms of how many how many batters pitchers had to face and yada yada. But just w- where do we stand with that? Is that not something we should be looking forward to in twenty twenty four and beyond? I think it's always going to play a role to some degree, but um, you know, a couple years ago when the Rays had it as a fixture, uh, you know, in their in their weekly rotation. Um, I, I think we're going to kind of get away from those days. You know, it, it was like a doomsday um, scenario when the Rays were doing it. People thought everybody was going to do it. Yeah. Um, I do think it's going to remain in the game to some degree, specifically when teams um, have injuries in their rotation and they are calling up um, replacement level pitching um, <laughs> and they do not want those guys going against uh, the first, you know, the front part of an order necessarily. So I do think we will see it in certain um, you know, in certain scenario situations, but I don't think it's going to like be an overwhelming thing we see going forward. I don't know if this caught your attention or was even kind of, you know, placed in front of you, but watching the Mets that I did, and, and obviously the broadcasters are some of the best in the league. One of the things they said a lot and it stuck with me and it wasn't just the Mets doing it. It was pretty much every team that came to town. It seemed like there were scheduled bullpen days and maybe that's what they were calling it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't even that a bullpen player was going to start the game and then a starter was going to come in. It was this team has established that because of injury or because of a travel schedule or whatever, they have they have penciled in in the calendar that this day is simply going to be run by the bullpen. They're not going to put any starters out there. They're just going to flash through two innings, you know, one to two innings each for each player and just get themselves through a game that way. Is that something you think can catch on or do you think that's actually going backwards? No, I think I, catch on. I it, like. I don't want to say that necessarily in ter- as in terms of it like becoming more prevalent, but it's definitely always going to remain a factor, um, especially mm-hmm. with expanded rosters for for um, double headers, things like that. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. There is more targeted, um, you know, pen- penciled in days, if you will, on the schedule where teams. Um, probably already know ahead of time how they're going to try and try and figure that out. But like the giants do it um, quite yeah. successfully as well, where you actually saw some players team struggle against them in terms of, um, you know, seeing a new arm, new, new pitches, new arm angles, slots, um, you know, every inning, it's really hard to, um, you know, to, to build any kind of momentum, if you will, uh, when with on days like that. So we've seen teams utilize it and struggle with it on the, uh, you know, offensively. So it's going to be around, I think, to some degree. We got some trade candidates and a couple of extension candidates to get to, but before I have to, uh, I have to make you uncomfortable. Give me a projected contract and destination for one of these available free agents. Um, <laughs> are the Yankees going to swallow their pride and sign Jordan Montgomery? Is that going to be a thing? Yeah, I, I'm sure. I've certainly heard it more than once. Um, and it'd be funny because they traded him for a bag of bones a couple of years ago now, but I, they, they could certainly use it. There's no question in that. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'll say that. Um, yeah. I would just fall on your, on your, um, on your market value, which is what around 20 mil, I believe. <clears throat> you think that's what it is? You think he gets about six for 120? Does that make sense for Jordan Montgomery? It's a little bit that's of a not- row down cover up here, is what it is. 
that sounds right to me, but I'm okay. of course not looking at anything. So, and, and last one, because I, I, I think this name is fascinating. We talked about him a bunch. Do you think there's a $200 million contract for Bellinger sitting out there or is he going to have to settle for something more shorter term? I think the ceiling on the contract is above 200. I, again, I, I, I'm rooting for him to sustain this bounce back that we saw last year. I do think there's some concerns long-term with the shoulder injury, which literally almost derailed his entire career. Um, So I think what I'm trying to say is I think there will be some creative, um, you know, injury insurance, if you will. Um, Similar to like the JD Martinez contract with Boston, where you saw a lot of if thens based on, you know, perceived chronic knee issues that he had um, where if those flared up um, you know, it was easy for both sides to kind of just walk away. But if, if they didn't and they didn't, and he became, you know, a a cornerstone of that uh, lineup for a number of years, then he gets paid handsomely on the, on the ceiling side of, of the, of the deal. So yeah, I, I um, could see something like that happening for Bellinger. All right. Fair enough. Trade candidates. I want to, first of all, thank you for not making Pete Alonzo one of them, even though I think both you and I know Pete Alonzo is still a trade candidate until he's not. Um, I'm just not hearing enough steam with anything around the Mets organization to say otherwise right now. And uh, I'll believe it when I see it, unfortunately. Corbin Burns certainly is maybe the the breadwinner of this conversation as Milwaukee continues to be weird, right? I mean, they're not ripping the Band-Aid off and they're kind of buying. But at, at the same point in time, I could see him moving on from Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Willie Adamas tomorrow. And I don't think anybody would be uncomfortable with that because that's probably what they should be doing when they look around and read the room and read the division and things like that, uh, where are we here? Who is this team? Are are they just trying to hang on one year too long? Or do you actually think it's good business to hold their chips and trade Corbin Burns the deadline if they have to? Well, I do not know what this team is quite honestly. Um, I don't think they're a team that should or will keep Corbin Burns. Honestly, I think he's gone before opening day. And I think he is the guy I was hinting at earlier that is just waiting for Blake Snell. Um, you know, the, the losers of the Blake Snell sweepstakes Uh are going to quickly pivot and he is the, um, well, at least publicly known names that have been bantered about. Um, he is pretty easily the guy and what is somewhat, what I think it could be appealing at least Milwaukee at least has a lot of motivation to, to deal him. I think certain teams will be okay acquiring him on an expiring contract. If the price is pretty cheap, like uh, certain, like couldn't the Dodgers. Yeah just give up one of their uh, good prospects to bring in Corbin Burns for yeah. one season, really not caring what happens beyond because just to cover um, Otani, right? Just to yeah, cover Otani, not being able to pitch. Exactly. And the, and the brewers would probably take that, you know, like a B or two, you know, low a C C plus prospects or something like that, just um, to not see him walk away. So, or, you know, without nothing in return. So uh, mm-hmm. all I'm trying to say here is um well Bur- corbin burns we saw tyler glass now get traded and then sign an extension corbin burns already came out and said i'm not doing that so he is going to test free agency <laughs> next year so i'm i'm coming through this with the assumption that 
Um, whoever trades for him, it is an expiring contract, which will minimize the return, which in theory would open up that market to way more teams, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting that uh, on the heels of the core or the Tyler Glass now thing that that is not happening with Corbin Burns. And we're going to probably see him, um, you know, his name and trade talks here for the foreseeable future until something happens. And, um, you know, at the top of the free agent uh, tracker for 2025. <clears throat> Philadelphia has been active, um, you know, extending Aaron Nola. There's probably not going to be a reunion with Reese Hoskins. It seems like he's seeking some sort of guarantee elsewhere right now. And they've pretty much got that, that position covered anyway. It, Nick Castellanos has been rumored and he does seem like the odd man out, even though he's been a big part of their push and cer- certainly their power push the past couple of seasons. Why, why do we think he's a legitimate trade candidate right now, even though he's probably worth another 35 to 40 home runs again in 2024? Well, this is more team construction. If anything, I included him on here, you know, through our lens, it's the contract that yeah. makes this so difficult. Um, we've seen, you know, we've seen a couple reports on his name being, you know, um, you know, included in trade talks or offered or shops, however you want to put it. Um, and for like a team that has struggled defensively, he is an, ext- he's a very valuable hitter. He's also an extremely streaky hitter. And yeah. two of his worst streaks over the t- last two seasons came in their playoff runs um, where, you know, he pretty much hit a wall at the most important part of the year. So when that happens, when you offer limited on defense, uh, limited, you know, you're not super dynamic defensively. Um, and you have three years at 20 mil, 60 mil total left on your contract for a team that has spent and continues to spend and probably wants to reallocate that money to some degree in the future. Um, I think he's a guy that they could look to move on from. The issue here is like who is really calling to acquire that contract unless a lot of money um, is getting held. But that's one that I think could happen because the Phillies might be um, motivated to try and uh, free up some, you know, payroll going forward over the next three years. <clears throat> okay. I love that quite a bit. And you're right. And, and oh, by the way, it could be as easy as this, Dan. Can I just give you the nerdy side of the story? They're about 11 million over the tax right now, according to our projections. He's a $20 million player. He's got three for 60 remaining on this contract, even if they have to eat half of this contract. And that's probably feasible. Don't you think? Make this a you know make this a three at ten per year for whatever team wants to take on streaky Nick Castellanos and his twenty five to thirty five home runs. You're probably getting yourself under the tax threshold by doing this. And if you can be a contender, a legit contender in the National League, and you know Dodgers withstanding, I think you can be Braves notwithstanding. I think you can be at least a wild card and be under the tax threshold in a in a couple of seasons here where there's going to be some monster tax bills. That could be a win for Dave Dombrowski. And he's been very, very apt to do this, Dan. He did it a lot of times in Boston where he was resetting and winning at the same time. And I do think that this is a trade that he could use to do that, knowing... And this is one more thing I want to get to, and it kind of transitions transition us into a situation that's next. I think there's a massive contract extension coming for Zach Wheeler, Dan. Uh, they brought back Nola. That definitely signifies to me that they don't want to move too much, that they're not going to change too many you know things here for 2024 and beyond. But Castellanos moving away this year, even with some retained salary, can get them under the tax threshold and set up Zach Wheeler for what? Another five for 
150, somewhere in that, in that regard, something he's definitely earned over the past three seasons in Philadelphia. So could be a yin and a yang. Could be a situation where business comes first and they win ball games, and that's pretty much as good as you can get in Major League Baseball. Yeah, for sure. Nothing, nothing to add there. I think it it lines up with uh, what I what I feel as well. <clears throat> Feels like, and we, you've kind of done this nicely, so I'll, I'll try to do it one myself. Feels like maybe the guy, the team missing out on Teoscar Hernandez, could be in on Nick Castellanos. There's a lot of similarities to those kind of players, uh, even though Teoscar might be a little bit more complete and well-rounded, it feels like that could be an, a one-two situation for a team looking to get some power on their lineup. Uh, extension candidates. You've got some young kids here, man. I love it. I love, I'd love. i love to see as many of these as humanly possible. Why wouldn't Kansas City extend Bobby Witt Jr.? I don't really have an answer to that. Yeah. I think from their end, they would have um, every reason to try and lock it in now. Now, I don't necessarily know if his side is open to it, but um, the two guys I put on this list are basically on this list because of, um, you know, the, a little bit of recency bias with these smaller market teams trying to s- extend these perceived um, potential superstars um, before they get to their, um, you know, inflated arbitration seasons, if you will. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the long and short of it. I think, you know, Bobby Witt is an emerging superstar, if not already one, um, and, you know, a small market team like the Royals who are really trying to kind of figure out their identity here as like they transition to a new front office, new straight, you know, draft strategy, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's like the guy they would obviously want to build around now if, you know, who knows if again, who knows if his side would be open to that, knowing that, um, you know, a monster payday is likely, only, you know, four seasons away, if you will. But I think he's definitely a prime candidate. <clears throat> They've been crazy active, you know, really active. Seth Lugo, Michael Walker during the starting rotation, pretty much instantly become middle of the rotation players, if not more. A couple of bullpen arms have been signed. Will Smith probably being the bigger one. He's got some pedigree to him. They're signing outfielders. They're, si- they're doing all the things that, that a team does when they kind of like the room they have going right now and they just want to put some, some glue guys in there and see what can stick. I, I like the approach, but to me, I, I don't start making these moves unless I know Bobby Witt Jr. is here for the long haul. He's the face of this franchise. There's no question about that. And I know, you know that's no knock to Salvador Perez, who, by the way, probably could be a trade candidate right now if he wasn't so long tooth in terms of his contract and, and what the number might take to get him out the door. But this is the guy. This is the face of their franchise. And I think the other the other name you have here, Adley Rushman, <clears throat> certainly represents that for Baltimore, though. There's about six candidates going there now, right? And one of them, one of them hasn't even gotten to the major league baseball level yet. So um, to me, that would be the reason Witt would sign and Rushman would not. There are so many mouths potentially to feed in Baltimore, and not to mention Adley Rushman's a catcher, and we don't see early contract extensions for catchers at all, let alone you know, with any kind of regular regularity. What's a shortstop? And if you can get a shortstop on any kind of value, even through the team control years, you should be going above and beyond to do that. To your point, why would he do it? Right? Why would he do it when players like Dansby Swanson, who are 20% you know, less valuable than he, he projects to be, just let things run the course. He actually, you know, took a trade. He moved, bounced around a little bit, went through his arbitration years, uh, you know, basically bit his tongue and still got almost $200 million guaranteed from a great team this past off season. So it, it's a tough sell for that position to, to lock in early. However, 
he could also be offered this the heftiest pre-arb con- contract extension in the history of Major League Baseball, and I don't think anybody would gawk at it because I think you, you and I both agree he's a five-tool guy for at least the next ten years. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't think I have too much to add there. For, like from Kansas City's perspective, um, like I, to your point on what they've done here, like it's. I, I credit them for doing something. I don't necessarily love all the moves or think right. they're really going to work out, but they I guess do. that's what I'm saying too, Dan. It's a little bit awkward unless you know, you have core pieces ready to go. And I guess I have, I'm not sure they've established those. There's maybe a couple, right? The Melendez kid and, and wit, but I, I'm not in love with enough players to, to signify that they should be pushing down the gas pedal. <laughs> well, right. And I, I, I think I want to claim that, these are more just like where we have a pulse moves, if you will. And I don't want that to come off wrong, but this is why the Royals have, have done such a poor job for a number of years. They are not a free agent destination. They are never going to attract free agents. They are going to need to build this from the ground up. And that is going to just simply take time, flat out, take time. Now, I think these are more moves like, this was like the, the B minus tier of free agents. If you will, we needed pitchers. We're going to bring these, we don't mind spending money. We were going to bring these guys in just to show that we, you know, even if that's just to prove to their fan base that they have a pulse, but mm-hmm. um, like, I, I, I do think there are better days ahead um, for the Royals. I just think it's going to take time to get there and you shouldn't just throw a bunch of free agent money at a problem that is not going to be backfilled um, by premium talent that is in their pipeline. Cause it's just flat out, not there based on, you know, the last decade, if you will, of, um, you know, drafting and et cetera, et cetera. So there are some nice pieces to build around there, which is why I think they could have like they could be a relevant team. I don't necessarily think they're a contender, but it's a pretty poor division. You have some nice pieces on the team. You add a couple of pitchers, et cetera, et cetera. Like there is the framework of, um, you know, competency there, if you will. But I I guess I'm just saying in terms of them ramping up to be an actual contender, um, that's going to be a little while, but I do think there is a ton of value, like you said, in locking in, that cornerstone piece in Bobby Witt to build around as you ramp things up. So to that point, last five years of Kansas city's tax payrolls, 26th, 26th, 21st, 26th, 25th. As of right now, they project to be 20th in major league baseball. So there's a little bit of a push, not much more than, you know, the, their median over the past half decade or so. I don't think there's any reason to go much more beyond this. However, the free agent destination point is a good one. And it's something we hear in all sports. It's if you are not a place people want to just drop their hat and raise their families, you have to do something like this every now and then just to remain on the map. And I think that's what they've done at least a little bit is gotten themselves back on the off season map. And you put a blockbuster $200 million contract into Bobby Witt's hands now. And now you can actually become established a little bit for 2024. Not going to say they're going to go out and win, you know, even, 80 games, let alone 90 to 95 and get themselves into the postseason. But you're right. It is about building a brand. Is that the best way to say it? They're trying to rebuild their brand after just an absolute shocker of a World Series win in 2017, which is almost a decade ago. It's time to restart that process. And I think they've uh, they've at least established the restart with a couple of smaller moves here this offseason. Baltimore is fascinating. 
Um, if you had to put real money on the Baltimore Orioles situation in any regard, I'll give you literally any bet you want to make. What is that bet? Are you betting them to regress? Are you betting them to win the AL East? Are you betting them to make the playoffs? Where, where is your best money for the 2024 Baltimore Orioles right now? The longer this goes, the more I doubt myself, but I really have been of the mind that they just have to consolidate some talent here. They have been um, stockpiling and developing premium, premium talent here to the point where they have um, multiple options, the middle, you know, middle infield spots. Um, They have a good, you know, good starting pitching in their pipeline. Um, But, at some point, they're, they, they don't have room for all of these guys, right? So I think for a team that is – it's pretty obvious they're not going to make a splash in free agency. Um, Which sucks. It, and their <laughs> owner is already basically hinting at enjoy these guys while they last sort of thing. Um, so that's – I hesitated to even put Rutschman on this, but I do think that he's just like a cor- another cornerstone piece you might try and – lock in like defensively he's good he works really well with the young pitchers he's you know really good offensively etc i don't really need to lay out all of his uh you know premium or his positive qualities but um Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't know i don't really know if it all makes sense but for a team that is probably going to need to build you know through like a grassroots movement if you will um and not be a free agency or anything like that um uh, yeah, I, just, I, 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 I hate it. I hate it for, for the small market teams. I hate it for the fans in Baltimore. They, they finally catch a break, turn a corner. All of their hard work developing that you mentioned here finally starts to pay off. And now in maybe the most important offseason they've had in, I don't know, two decades since the Ripken years, their owners are going through a sale process possibly, right? I mean, they're probably non-existent inside this building right now, actually making decisions, nor nor should anybody even try to make decisions, right? Why would any general manager approach any player or agent right now and say, hey, you know, what do you think? It's, it's just a terrible time to do stuff like that. Now, I got their stadium stuff figured out, which was step one, but television contract, ownership, sale, it's a mess. It's a mess. And I think it's impeding not only new players from coming, but their current core from feeling like they should be stabilizing themselves and I do think what you've mentioned is what the GM and the front office should be doing is cleaning up some of the mess by just simplifying this roster, you know, and, and if that means Cedric Mullins has to, has to become a trade candidate. And I think that's probably a good one. So be it. There's a pipeline of outfielders ready to come up. You know, if, uh, is it, is it Santander? I forget who else you, you've had on this list before. There are some names that I think would be very attractive to some other teams in this, in this league immediately, even if you have to wait to the final hour to make the move. So I'm with you. I think this team should be less about internalizing and more about subtracting some players and simplifying their roster for the next couple of seasons. Yeah. So if I can give Orioles fans hope for, you know, uh, you know, positivity in the future, like Mike Elias is one of the, mm-hmm. the best front office executives in the game. So I have immense, immense trust in him that he is na- He knows how he wants to navigate this in the coming years um, and how he exactly plans to um, consolidate talent and keep this thing going. Now, one thing it, to piggyback on that point is previously the Orioles never spent internationally. It was just something they flat out did not do. Ownership did not want to approve the money. Now, as soon as Michael Elias got in there, he convinced them to spend and they have done an excellent job 
in the in the international market and you're going to start to see some of those guys i mean that has taken numerous years as we've spoken about but you're going to start to see those guys come in so my 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 rose colored glasses hope for orioles fans is that he was able to convince him to, to spend internationally if the fruits of that you know bear out potentially Michael Elias can convince that ownership group, whether it's the same ownership group, new ownership to spend on these premium guys, whether that is Adley Rutschman, whether that is, um, you know, Jackson holiday or any of these other guys that I, I'm not even going to just like go down the list of li- the, yeah. you know, the huge list of guys that, um, you know, could, could be extended early in that organization if you wanted to. So um, that's kind of my hope for them is that like Michael Elias just, keeps proving that his plan is working and that the ownership buys in and is willing to spend money. I want to believe that the, the, the financial hesitancy right now is related to some of the TV stuff that we're seeing, um, you know, around the league as a whole. So maybe once that's all figured out, there's a little bit more realization that like, Holy crap, look what we have built here so far. All we need to do is put some money behind it. But again, you know, Comparing the international spending in, in the international market to spending in free agency is like mm. David and Goliath. So it's it's not totally a great comparison, but I'm just trying to um, grasp at straws here for um, you know a guy who roots for Cleveland who you know same goes through the same thing every <laughs> time. It looks like you're building something sustainable. Um, you know, ownership is always there to kind of pull the rug on you. So <laughs> without looking. If I ask you to guess the top five teams in free agent spending this offseason, we'll finish on this. I'll get you out of here on this. Obviously, the Dodgers stand at number one. All right. This is just free agency, by the way. This is nothing to do with extensions and arbitration avoids and things like that. We'll get to that much more down the line when some of those things become clear. Just free agent money. Could you give me all five teams? I'm not sure you could. Um, you can probably, I, I would guess you'll get three out of five. So we'll, we'll give you the Dodgers. Can you get the next four, Dan? The Tigers, I think, are on that list. Okay, they're seventh right now. Ooh, okay. I maybe had perceived they spent a little bit more then. Um, probably not, actually. Um, no. <laughs> okay, so it's the Phillies, okay, who brought back Aaron Nola oh, yeah, te- right. technically in free agency. It's Arizona who have gone big on Erod and Gur- bringing back Guriel Jr. Nice moves, by the way, underrated moves. It's the Giants who have now made the big international signing for the outfielder and brought in a couple of smaller pieces to counter- counteract that. And it's actually the Reds who just in the last couple of days added two or three names and have six free agent signings this off season. That's your top five right now. Subject to change, of course, um, you know, whenever Bellinger drops in and things like that. But I will say this, the trade stuff's really starting to pick up a lot of steam. That That is how a lot of these contending teams have done their business um, to stay away from those bloated free agent numbers that you just referenced with Kansas City and Baltimore and things like that. Would you say that it's a better way to do business right now because of so much retained salary and so many rich owners who just want to get, you know, just want to change their roster and are willing to, to retain that money? Something that's not new, but it feels like it's becoming more and more prevalent across the league. 
Yeah, I think it's always going to have a place. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's catching, maybe it's becoming more popular as we see these um, free agent contracts um, kind of inflate a little bit compared to, um, let's just call it future potential rather than past performance. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, I, I think that it does be, feel like that is coming down a little bit. That gap is closing, closing, and closing. Right. It just seems like I'm not saying everybody's getting smarter, just maybe more creative. Like we've seen the Braves acquire three players, two of which they've already flipped, and one who they tried to flip, and Matt Carpenter. And by the way, you and I both know that was never going to happen because in October, when we started our offseason work, that guy, that name, and that contract went to the top of our list of laughability. So. They're retaining that salary. He's already been released. But the Braves, maybe the second best odds team in baseball right now, have already done that three times. Acquired players that they didn't really want to keep. It was just part of the process, part of the plan to keep their roster fluid and moving this offseason. That's basketball stuff. That's NBA stuff right there. And if they're doing it and they're signing extensions and making trades like that, that seems something that, that could trickle down to a lot of other franchises as GMs get more and more comfortable with that. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Good for us, man. A lot of transactions yeah. on the books right now. Yeah, and that's the that's kind of the crazy part is the the trade stuff is going to ramp up, but like the free agent stuff still has to ramp up too. I it think does. I saw depending on what list you want to go from, I think um the same time last year, um MLB top 50 free agent list or something like that. Um I think like 40 of the 50 free agents had signed by the new year. And now um, this year coming up, we're only at like 15 of the top 50. So there's still a lot of movement um, to take place here. Uh, And and I don't exactly know why the lag occurred this year. Um, If it's just like the talent pool, et cetera. But um, I thought that was pretty interesting that there's like a pretty big gap um, between this year and last year in terms of the top free agents um, being signed by the new year already. So that plus um, trades, uh, you know, we're expecting to happen here in the next couple couple months um, should be should ramp up here. <clears throat> I can tell you right now, I just went to our free agent tracker and I sorted it by last year's war value, right? So essentially the most valuable players from 2023 who are now on the open market of the top 20 wars from 2023 who are available right now, eight of them have signed contracts. Eight of the top 20 wars. So there's there you go. It's not like even the you know the the big contract players are off the boards yet. Yes, the Otanis have hit and some of the international players have hit, but plenty of talent still out there all available on spytrack.com. Thanks for your great work as always, Dan. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Mike.